All right. Let's go ahead and uh, open up our Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Um, We will actually finish up John 10 today, so we're moving right along. John chapter 10. If you will, if you can, if you're not occupied with a a baby or such, um, if you will, let's stand. And I want to read John 10, 22 through 42 for us. And then I want to pray for our time together. John 10, starting in verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but, did every, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Let's pray. Father, we all struggle in life. We all face difficulties. We all face seasons of doubt. We all have moments where it's hard to trust. But this morning as we spend time in your word, my prayer is that through your spirit, you will remind us that trust triumphs unbelief. That trust in you will always win. Because you never fail. You're all-powerful, you're majestic, and you're good. And as the psalmist writes, your steadfast love endures forever. 
It never stops. It never gives up. It never ends. It never fails. And so for us here this morning, as we spend time in your word, God, encourage us to trust to trust in times that it may be difficult to trust, to trust and find kernels of belief when it seems that there are none. To rest in the only hope that we know, and that is the hope of Jesus. God, help us this morning to find peace in knowing That we are yours and you are ours. Let us see the glory of our Savior and trust in his never-ending power. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. One of the common themes that we have seen throughout the Gospel of John, dating back to January of last year, is really the theme of unbelief. Um, you see time and time again where the, the Jews or the religious leaders especially are unbelieving of who Jesus is. And that's why he starts right off the bat declaring who he is and that the authority that he has comes from God because he is God. And, and he breaks that down in, in a very clear way, but they continue to doubt To set the stage just a little bit, it's winter. And even though, I'm going to refer to last week a bunch, but Clint actually preached Genesis 3 last week, so it's actually two weeks ago. But two weeks ago, when we were last in John 10, we, we finished with verse 18, and between 19 and 21, we actually see two months pass by. And so now they're no longer in the season they were in, but they're two months beyond that during the Feast of Dedication, which I'm not even going to get into the whole detail of where that comes from. But what we need to realize is that it's a whole separate altercation. But yet, Jesus goes back to those earlier verses in John 10 when they're talking about this motif between the shepherd and the sheep in order to reveal to them that they're not believing because their hearts had been hardened by unbelief. So it's wintertime. It's two months after, now during the Feast of Dedication. Actually, it's what we would consider Christmas. So it's during that season. And Jesus is in Solomon's colonnade, and he's doing what he does as he's teaching. And the Jews come, and they begin to question him. Now, the thing about their questions is they seem good. Right? How long are you going to keep us in suspense? Why, why don't you just tell us plainly, are you the Christ? The problem is, is that while it seems that these are good questions, their motives are far from pure. Because what they're really trying to do, again, is trap Jesus and, and pin him down in order to mock him and arrest him and to seize him. And ultimately, they want him dead. Because he is going against their style of leadership, and they are losing power. That's why in verse 26 he says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. 
So he reverts back to that sheep-shepherd motif in order to explain to them that they're not believing because they're not his sheep. If you remember, the sheep and the sheep's gate, the sheepfold, they would have this circular-type structure built out of stone attached to the house where multiple flocks of sheep would enter. There would be one gate, and there would be a sheep, um, a, a, a gatekeeper at the gate who would only open the door to the shepherds who are in there and whose flocks are in there. And in the morning, when the shepherds would come to the door, the gatekeeper would open, and they would go to their different areas, and they would begin to call their sheep by name, and their sheep would come. Right? Right? And so basically, the illusion here is that the shepherds are calling, or the shepherd is calling, and these are not coming because they are not his sheep. The sheep, even though they are not intelligent animals, know exactly where to go because they trust their shepherd. But these sheep, these Jews who are not believing, are not among the fold, so they're not following and believing and listening and trusting the word of the shepherd. And really, this reminds us of two types of unbelief. The first type of unbelief is the unbelief of Jesus himself. So for you, if you've never trusted in Jesus as a Savior, if you've never trusted in the work of Christ, then you're not a Christian. And this is where the unbelief comes in, because you're not believing Jesus. You're not believing his word. The other type is just doubt. For those of us who have trust trusted in Jesus and, and surrendered our lives to him, we still face moments and seasons of doubt where we don't understand why the things are happening are happening, where we, we want to question the plans of God, where we get down or we get depressed or we get broken and we begin to question and have our doubts. So there's straight on unbelief and there's doubt. And here's the deal. We all face unbelief. I face unbelief. Every one of us faces unbelief. But how do we overcome that? How do we overcome the unbelief? See, the main idea for our text today is this. That unbelief causes spiritual blindness. But belief in Jesus leads to never-ending hope. See, all unbelief is overcome Ultimately, in the same way, by trusting in Jesus. Trust triumphs unbelief. And since Jesus reverts back to this motif of sheep and shepherd, I feel it's best for us to understand what's happening in John 10, this latter portion, by actually looking back to Psalm 23, the passage of the shepherd. The first thing that we will see in, in Psalm chapter 23 is that Jesus provides for his sheep. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In the very first portion of that, we're going back to this idea of the shepherd. Now, if, if you've been around, obviously, for a while, then you've heard us talk about the shepherd so much lately. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing because 
I don't plan long-range sermons. I don't plan that way. I've tried, and it just doesn't work for me. Um, Some people do. I know guys that plan a year out, two years out. I'm not that guy. I'm like, week by week, let's, this is where we're at, this is where we're going. But for the last several weeks, we have been in John 10, which is the passage of the Good Shepherd. Well, several weeks before that, with our youth on Wednesday night, I decided to walk through the 23rd Psalm. And it's just been so refreshing to, to hear the good news of Psalm 23 over and over and over again, then to dive into the Good Shepherd text of John 10. And so we've talked a lot about the background of what a shepherd is. We, we've looked at Middle Eastern shepherding, how it's different. I, I gave you some of that earlier, how they, they gather into a sheepfold. And again, in our culture, what we would think of as shepherding is a shepherd and a dog driving sheep. But in that culture, the sheep trust their shepherd and they follow the shepherd. But one thing we haven't touched on as much is the idea of being cast or cast down. Shepherding is not a familiar thing in our area. So I want to show you this. If we were in a place where shepherding was common, then occasionally you would come across a flock and what you would see is a sheep literally on its back, all four legs in the air. Now the thing about a sheep is it's unlike any other animal. When it goes on its back, it cannot roll over on its own. He's stuck. And unless there's a shepherd or a person or someone there to help lift that sheep back right side up, within an hour or two, he will actually die. And so the idea of being cast is that. The sheep is cast so he's upside down and he cannot roll over. He's completely helpless. He's completely hopeless without the help of another. And so the shepherd is not only there to lead them to pasture, he's not only there to lead them to still waters, while those are very important things, but he's also there to protect and to provide life for his sheep. Because if his sheep rolls over, he desperately needs the shepherd to roll him back, or he'll die. And a shepherd provides nourishment. He provides nourishment by leading his sheep to green pastures. He has to make sure his sheep are fed. A shepherd leads his sheep to still waters. If a sheep goes up to rushing waters, he will not drink. It does not matter how thirsty he is. He needs to be led to quiet waters. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but what if there are no quiet waters? Well, a shepherd would actually dam up part of a running stream in order for his sheep to drink. A shepherd provides for sheep. In the same way, Jesus cares for you by providing the spiritual nourishment you need for the life he's called you to live. So if Jesus has called you to live and to do a certain thing, then he will provide that nourishment for you in order to do what he's called you to do. Again, Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, but is the gift of God. And then he immediately goes in, and we are his workmanship created by him for good works, which he has prepared beforehand. So he knows what he's called you to do, and he knows where he's leading you, and he will provide the grace necessary for you to do that. Notice the first line of Psalm 23.3. He restores my soul. 
So again, a cast sheep cannot turn himself over. And unless the shepherd or another turns him back over, he cannot breathe and he will die. Same way, Jesus gives life to the cast down soul. We can't do that on our own. You can't, no matter what you try and what you want to do, give life to yourself. Will not happen. You did not cause yourself to be born. And when you breathe your last, you will not cause yourself to breathe again. That's why you need another person to do CPR. You can't do it. I mean, have you ever seen a dead person trying, or a partially dead person trying to do CPR alone? No, it's not possible. In the same way with spiritual life, we desperately need Jesus. We cannot do this on our own. The only way to receive life, new life, is to trust in Jesus to save. And here's the truth. That even the best shepherds fail. David was a good shepherd. The, the scripture paints that picture for us. And as the author of Psalm 23, it's, it's even more meaningful because he was a shepherd. He defeated a lion. He defeated a bear in order to protect his sheep. And then in this moment of really um, painting a picture of the future, he defeats Goliath to protect his people. A people who had no faith in him, really, but he defeated them in order to protect. But what happened with David? He failed. Every shepherd will fail. And every shepherd will face a sheep that's cast that they might not be able to get to quick enough. Every shepherd will face a moment where they simply cannot avoid the death of a friend. But the good news is this. That Jesus, as the good shepherd, never fails. There's always these little intricacies of a passage that we sometimes miss. And this week, and, and again, so I've, I've been in Psalm 23 like, like for over a month or so with our, our teenagers, and um, for the last, well, about a month, we've been in um, looking at the Good Shepherd in, in John 10, and, and there's something that I actually never realized. But if you're reading the ESV, it, it may vary depending on the version you're reading, but in the ESV, you, you see the words I, me, or my 17 times in Psalm 23. Pay attention. I'm, I want to I read through this. So if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, just, just follow along. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what does this tell us? That the Lord is truly my shepherd. 
again, typically during this time, they would, people would refer to God more of our, like as a, as a corporate thing. Yet David, fleeing for his life, is writing on a personal level, this is my shepherd. I shall not want, he leads me, he makes me, he provides for me. The true and good shepherd leads you. So I want to ask you this question. Are you trusting Jesus as the shepherd of your life and the caregiver of your soul? If not, why not? Because Jesus is the beautiful shepherd who does provide. He restores. He restores my soul. He restores your soul. Are you trusting in Jesus to restore you? And here's the deal. I know that there are people here who are battling depression. I know that there are people here that are broken. And I know that there are people here that are confused. The good news is that you can trust in Jesus. Why? Because he restores my soul. Psalm 42 says, why are you cast down, O my soul? You can lift your eyes to the heavens knowing that our help is coming from the Lord. So trust in the provision of Jesus. But not only does Jesus provide for his sheep, but he also leads his sheep. In the last half of verse 3, he says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A shepherd leads faithfully. He leads graciously. He cares deeply for his sheep. In one of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount, there's this line, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Every one of us are prone to wonder, yet he leads us. And he not only leads us, but he leads us in the paths of righteousness. His mercies are new every morning. We want to stray and we want to wander and he constantly leads us. He does so graciously. He does so faithfully. He does so out of love for his sheep. That's why a shepherd carries a staff that has a crook. As a, she as a sheep begins to stray, he'll take that crook to ease his sheep back in line. To pull him back onto the right path. Have you ever had those times in your life where you just know the Lord stepped in your way? And kept you from doing something that you thought was the right way, but it wasn't his way. That's the shepherd leading. He leads because he cares. And as Christians, we should find great comfort in knowing that Jesus is leading us both for our good and his glory. And if he's doing it for his glory and our good, then we have all reason to trust in him. Because His glory is the most important thing to Him. It's seeking His glory that causes Him and leads us to love us so well. But Jesus provides for His sheep and He leads His sheep and He leads them in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. See that? For His name. For His glory. He leads for Him. And out of the abundance of Him seeking His glory... He cares for us. You're not going to find another being that does that. Any other being that seeks his own glory is not caring for someone else. But the God of the universe does, and he cares greatly. 
Thirdly, Jesus also protects his sheep. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23 has been a refuge for the dying for as long as time can tell. But I think we're missing the point if we only focus on Psalm 23 as a passage for the dying. Because it's not just a passage for the dying, it's a passage for the living. And it's a passage for the living because the living struggle. You know, in the Hebrew, it could actually be translated in the valley of the shadow of darkness. The shadow of darkness. Or deep darkness. It's a tough place. The valley of deep gloom. And that really just points to the idea that we all struggle in different ways. It's not only when we're facing death, but it's when we're facing darkness. And the good news is that for us, even when we face the hardest of days and the darkest of nights, we can fear no evil because the Lord is with us. He starts verse 4. That's David writing. He says, even though I walk. He's alone. He feels alone. He's pointing to loneliness. The thing about loneliness is this. There are many times that even when we're surrounded by friends and family, and good things that were terribly alone. Why is that? I think a lot of it's because we just wear a mask. We come, we're getting ready for church, we put on this facade, you know, I'm getting my church clothes on, which means I'm getting my whole persona different, right? Y'all seen the funny video where the family's like, you know, gnawing and clack, you know, like scratching and like all but cussing each other. And they're in the car and they're hating each other. They pull up to church and they walk in. It's like, you know, Joe Churchgoer, we're here. Happy family. Everything's great. And I think that's a lot of what we do. We don't come in showing our brokenness. We don't come in showing our struggles. We, we don't come in with our guard down. We change. We offer smiles and fake okays all while drowning on the inside. But for the Christian, we can find comfort in knowing that we're never alone. God never leaves. And not only that, He surrounds us. This, this is one of the beautiful things about being a church member, is that we have a body that we're supposed to be broken with. To, to hold us up, to pray for us, to encourage us. And, and I think a lot of us, we, we all have this mindset, well, I don't want to be that guy who's always running in. And it's like my world's dying, you know, everything's crashing every week. And so we just put on this, like, fakeness that everything's always great. So we go to the other extreme to never show that we need prayer, that we need help or support. 
but we're never alone. We have no reason to fear because the Lord is always with us. Now the thing is, is if you're here and if you've never trusted in Jesus as a Savior, you can't know the peace that I'm trying to tell you about. Not until you trust in Christ to save you. He is the only hope you have. You can continue to strive for whatever to achieve it. You can work harder in your job or you can try to surround yourself with big personalities or fine hobbies that you enjoy. But until you trust in Christ, you'll never know true peace. You'll never know true happiness. And so the challenge for you is to trust in Jesus. Because he provides, he leads, he protects. But he also glorifies his sheep. Psalm 23 verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's personal in verses 1 through 4. But it goes to a whole nother level in 5 and 6. The metaphor changes from that of a sheep to a shepherd. And the language just goes to a whole nother realm. Because what we see is that in the first four verses, David is fleeing for his life. But then this change in verses 5 and 6 seem to show that he's now in the refuge of a host. He's no longer fleeing. He's safe. He's found comfort. He's found protection. He has this table set before him. He's no longer foraging for food in order to survive, but he has a feast place before his being. And he's invited to come and eat. And not only that, but his host goes a step further to anoint his head with oil. I think we see several things here. Yesterday, on, while we were driving, Allison was reading me an article by Matt Chandler about hospitality. And you're talking about getting a punch in the gut. And, and the whole gist of the article, you know, we, anybody watch HGTV? Okay. Honestly, does anybody watch HGTV? All right, we're getting a little bit more honesty. I still feel like some of y'all lying. But what, what do you hear in everything Every show, it doesn't matter if they're building a house, if they're looking for a house, if they're remodeling a house, what do they always say they're wanting to do? Entertain. That's not hospitality, right? And, but, but we've transformed our idea of hospitality into if we just have people in our home, it's good. But, but the thing about the article that Allison was reading to me that Matt Chandler was pointing out is that hospitality goes beyond just having people in our home, but it's having people in our home that we're different than. People who have different beliefs, who look different, who smell different, who act different, who think different, who have different motives, who have different everything. And isn't that a picture of the gospel? That Christ has invited us to his table even though we're totally different. He's perfect in all of his ways and we are mere wretches 
says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he goes another step further to you anoint my head with oil. This picture of refreshing. Verses 1 through 4, David is being pursued by an enemy seeking his life. In verses 5 and 6, he's now being pursued by the good and kindness of the Lord. He found refuge in a host. The host of all hosts, King Jesus. How do we know that? Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, as Christians, we're not simply sheep without a shepherd. We're sons and daughters who are greatly loved and pursued by a glorious God. How are we glorified? Where are we even getting that idea that Jesus glorifies his sheep? If you want, you can flip over real quick to Romans 8. Verses 28 through 30. And we know, Paul is writing to fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, and we know that, like that'll preach right there, that three verses, and we know. What was our call to worship? He is God. And we know, they're assured, that for those who love God, all things, not most things, not some things, all things work together for what? Good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I want you to pay attention to verse 30. I mean, a lot of people get bent out of shape when you read verse 30 and you're like, oh man, he's talking about predestination, Calvinism, and all that stuff. I just want you to listen to the promise of verse 30, okay? And those whom he predestined, he what? He called. And those whom he called, he what? Justified. And those whom he justified, he what? Glorified. These are definitive statements. It's not if, ands, or buts. And you go all the way back. So you get 30 and you go back to 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those whom he what? Called. And if he called, he justifies. And if he justifies, he glorifies. What does that mean? That means if God has saved you, then you will stand in his presence on the day that he calls you. And you will receive the gift of glorification. All pain is gone. All tears have ceased. All infirmities passed away. He glorifies his sheep. Because he's glorious and he's good. That's why David can say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To conclude, I want us to jump now back to John 10. Don't get 
scared, thinking like, conclude, we ain't even touched John yet. I know this is unconventional, but I want you to see this. John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Remember that idea of the shepherd. That he goes out, and he calls his sheep, and they come. And then he leads, and they follow. Why? Because they're trusting. Trust triumphs unbelief. It goes on in verse 28. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. He's the shepherd that does not fail. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. See the beauty isn't simply knowing Jesus. It's understanding that we're known by him. See, the gospel has so much more weight. The good news has so much more weight than we, when we understand that he knows us. He knows your doubt. He knows your unbelief. He knows your brokenness, your confusion. He knows the good things. He knows the bad things. He knows your deepest and darkest sins. He knows your best achievements. And according to Romans, he loves you anyway. Romans, Romans 5, that God demonstrates his own love for us, or he shows his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, what happens? Christ died. Even in our darkest moments, Christ died. Because he loves you. He knows you. And if you can't find comfort in understanding that following Jesus is just being assured of Him knowing you. And I pray that you can trust in Him today. And notice what He says. Again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That means when you truly surrender to Jesus, when you truly trust in Jesus, then you are His. There is no one, there is no thing that can take that away from you. And I've heard people say, well, I, I don't necessarily believe I can lose my salvation, but I believe I can give it away. No, you can't. Because you never got it. You received it. You can't give it away. He gives eternal life. And those whom He gives eternal life to will never perish. And no one will be able to snatch them out of His hand. Why? Because the Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Because I and the Father are one. The Father is all powerful. He is majestic in glory. And His throne reigns forever. Never fails. So I want to encourage you today to rest in Jesus. To trust in Him and His goodness. He is the good shepherd. And that when we trust, our trust triumphs on belief. 
And I want to close by reading you the lyrics to an old hymn. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Though death into life everlasting he passed, and we follow him there. O'er us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that we would be encouraged by the promise of who you are in your word today. While everybody here, God, may not be in the midst of battling depression, every one of us struggles daily. And it doesn't matter what we're struggling with or what we're fighting against, God, we can truly trust in you because you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. May we find rest and comfort in knowing That you are God. That you never leave. That you never fail. So today, Lord Jesus, if there are those here who have never trusted in the work of Christ, I pray that they will understand that they need you desperately. And before they leave, they will find someone and tell them, I need Jesus. Lead us, Father, in a way of trusting so that we can go and tell. In Christ's name we pray.